look to the Lord, and we'll look to His Word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity here to be here with the saints, to look at your word. We thank you for your word, Father, for it is uh, from you. It has authority because it's from you, and it does have the power to change our lives. We thank you, Father, for who you are, your love and mercy extended to us. And we ask, Father, that uh, we would have open ears, open eyes, open minds, that we might take it in we might think on it, that we might know it, and that through it we might know you. Amen. Alright, we continue on our study on positional truth through the New Testament. Our key passage is 1 Corinthians 4.17. We turn there. We've got kind of three stages of what we'd like to do to review today. Um, why are we looking at positional truth? We know that there's a you know, even though it's all through the New Testament, it's really something that hasn't been emphasized. A lot of people look at it as pie-in-the-sky theology. A lot of people kind of are flippant about this doctrine. They think it's only for seminary students and pastors. And in reality, it's for every Christian. That's why it's all through the New Testament. In fact, it's the secret sauce of the Christian life. It's how you get empowerment from the Holy Spirit. So as we read 1 Corinthians 4, which is written to a church that was a wealthy church, and overall, at the time that Paul writes this, they were a carnal church. And so positional truth is the way that where you engage with the salvation God's given you so that you can be empowered by the Spirit. So it's the exact prescription that the Corinthians needed. Okay, And it's the place that Paul tells us this is what he taught everywhere. So 1 Corinthians 4, in verse 16, it says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye imitators of me. Now, a lot of people read this and they think, Oh, an imitator, oh, I need to be just like the pastor. I need to drive the car he drives. I need to comb my hair the way he combs it. I need to have the same type of clothing he has. I need to uh, take care of my lawn the same way he takes care of his lawn. I need to, oh, he doesn't wear a tie. I better not wear a tie. Oh, he wears a tie. I better wear a tie. Oh, he wears shorts. I wear shorts. Oh, and they copy somebody. They become imitators of. But that's not what Paul says here. What does he say you become an imitator of? It's, he's talking about his way of life. It's based on his teachings in Christ. So let's see that. It says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved child and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. As I teach everywhere, in every church. Now, is Paul just speaking in hyperbole, or is this really what Paul did? Now, we had a hypothesis we began at the beginning of the study, and we said, I don't think it's hyperbole. I don't think he's speaking in an exaggerated way. I think this is exactly what he did. He taught about his ways, which are in Christ, everywhere he went, in every church. Why? Because it's critical information to the Christian life. And then, after he did that, and he wasn't there for a while, he would send others to go to repeat that teaching. Like he tells us here, he sends Timothy. He sends Timothy to repeat these things. Because he was reliable and dependable. Because he had seen Paul teach about what it is to be in Christ. And how, that inter how you engage with that. And what that does with what you're able to do down here. 
So, we made that hypothesis. No, it's not hyperbole. Paul taught about this everywhere. Now, if he taught about it everywhere, then would it make sense, these letters that he wrote to churches all over, Christian churches, that we would see elements of positional truth through all these letters? That was a hypothesis. And we started looking through the New Testament, and we looked for explicit statements, clear, direct statements, where it says, in Christ, you're in the Beloved, or you're in Him, or in whom. Those are direct, explicit statements. Okay, so I want to look at some passages today. I'm going to assign verses. We're going to start with Jen, and then Cynthia, Steve, and then down the road, and then we'll come back this way. And I'm just going to get, because we're going to cover a lot of material this way. There's a purpose in this. There's a rhythm to the, there's a reason to the rhythm and a rhyme to the, okay, never mind. Um, the first verse, Jen, Ephesians 1.3. Cynthia, you're going to be Ephesians 1.4. Um, Steve, if you can do Ephesians 1.6. Dwight, you're going to be Ephesians 1.7. Uh, Gordon, Ephesians 1.11. Ronnie, Ephesians 1.13. Okay, everybody with me? We're going to stay in Ephesians. 2.15, Jim. Peg, 2... 2-6, and that's going to get two or three things. So 2-7 for Maria, Carmen, 2-10, Leslie, 2-13, Gary, 2-15, Stanton, 2-16, Tim, 2-21. All right, we're going to look at explicit statements of our position in Christ the things that Paul taught everywhere in every church. Jen, go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. That's a positional truth, and we should know about it. Cynthia. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. We're chosen in Christ. Not to be in Christ. You, the point there is that we're chosen in Christ. That's what he picked. He wanted believers in Christ. Okay. Steve. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us graced. In the beloved. We will accept the retranslation. Thank you. <laughs> we are graced in the one who is loved. We are in a position of love in the person of our substitute. How wonderful is that? Dwight. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay, we got a couple there. We're redeemed in him and we're forgiven in him. Gordon. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of them who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Very good. And that one actually, when we retranslate the inherited, we've been made an inheritance. We are the inheritance. Just blew my mind. I'm something to be inherited. Yeah. yeah, that's been my Sunday school class for the last three weeks. Oh, fun. Fun. 
Jake will take over right now. Okay. <laughs> we are made an inheritance. How wonderful is that? Ronnie, go ahead. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, a lot of people, they get confused with the earnest, with the sealing. The sealing is not guaranteeing down here that the Spirit is with us. The sealing is that we are sealed in God's mind at the Father's right hand. We can't be taken out. We're sealed into Christ. It's a guarantee. We're going to get to the destination in Christ. That's how we're going. We're secure. Jim. Ephesians 2.15 Having abolished the law of commandments and dogma that he might create in himself out of two, one new man, so making peace. Okay. 2.15 Is that what I gave you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I think I skipped like five of them on my paper. But that's okay. Because that was really great. <laughs> Okay, I must have gone back. But I was too sixteen. I jumped all over the place. That's okay. It must have been exactly how it was supposed to be. Go ahead, Peg. So Ephesians two six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then we also have that we were made alive in verse five. Did anybody get two five? No, I skipped over that one. Even when we were dead by trespasses, have He quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you having saved and has raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Each one of these, three things there, made alive, raised up, seated. I'm not accomplishing this salvation. It's been done for me. All right, Maria. Ephesians 3, 7. By God's grace and my power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. We're going, to go, I'm going to go back to verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. All this goes back to us being in Christ and we have equal access to God because we're in Christ. All right. Carmen. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. We've been created in Christ Jesus to good works, that we should walk in them. Pretty, pretty amazing. We're his worksmanship. We're his poet, poem, his artistic work. Wow, right? Verse 7 in 2-7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace by his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we're the object of future grace and future kindness of God in the future. Not just today. Bow into the future because we're in Christ. Okay. Leslie. 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you, who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're brought near. How near? The Father's right hand. Dude, that's why we can talk. This is all about access to God. You can turn and talk to your Heavenly Father. Through Christ. See? Access. 
Gentile, but we're all one in the body of Christ. Stanton. 2.16. Together as one body, Christ reconciles both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Alright. And Tim. In whom all of the building is being harmoniously joined, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we're all part of this spiritual building. Now, we could go on. We could look at the fact that we're uh, the co-share, co-body, co-heirs in 3.6. We could look at we're in an instrument to teach spirit beings in 3.9 through 11. We can look at the fact that the church is an instrument to bring glory now and into the future in 3.18 through 21. We can look at um, that we can be empowered in the Lord. We have this empowerment that comes through being in Christ in Ephesians 6.10. So those are all explicit statements of this positional truth that Paul taught everywhere in every church. And we look in the book, first three chapters of Ephesians, and we got about 20 different items. Pretty, that's pretty explicit. Right? And we can see this all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament. You have elements. Now, but then we have implicit, implicit statements. It's where it's implied. It might not be a, it's not in your face. Okay? It's not in your face. Here it is. This is the truth. But sometimes there's implied statements. Okay, what do we mean? You know, if A, we all learn this in math. I learned this from Dwight, so I know I'm standing on good authority. Okay? A plus B equals C. Right? Now that's not math. Those are letters. We're talking algebra. Oh my good algebra, you blew my mind, right? But if we see, if C is mentioned, and you know that C is a combination of A and B, then even though A and B are mentioned, we know they're there. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to attack this from another angle today. So when it comes to, let's see, how do we want to do this? The fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit, whenever we see... fruit from the Spirit, because He produces it. So you got love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. I'm probably going to miss something. Long-suffering. Did I miss long-suffering? Long-suffering. Meek. Oh my goodness. I wasn't focused. <laughs> Self-control. I'm out of control. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think that's all of them. Okay. Okay. Whenever we see these, we know that they're coming. We know that because you can't have access to these. Okay. Let's let's do that real quick. We have our Christian life uh, summary, right? Our little diagram we use to. Okay, I don't know. I'm not a good drawer here. This guy's supposed to be running. Okay. <laughs> one arm is okay, like that. One hand behind him. He's smiling because everybody smiles when they run, right? <laughs> and then we have the fact of we're put into Christ. We're gonna put a one. We have the fact that Christ is put into the believer. That's gonna be two. We have okay, those are facts of all Christians. Whether you know about this truth or not, it's true of them. 
They're in Christ, and Christ is in you. Baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ at salvation, Christ put into you by through regeneration at salvation, at belief. But the only way you interact with that is by getting your mind set, thinking, thinking in your mind about who you are in Christ. So we have a number three. This is where you begin to participate in that salvation. You can intelligently participate in the salvation God's giving you. This is where it says the word of God is living. It has the power to change your life. That's what it means. It can change you from the inside out. And this is how it happens. You engage with the truth that Paul taught everywhere in every church. So when there's a promise related to it, when you set your mind to it, the Holy Spirit will empower. He will empower. So we have a number four. Okay? Where now the, fr the fruit, the fruit, the singular fruit, is mental attitudes. That happens here, and then you can act on it, which would be number four. Okay? Now... We see Paul pray about that in Ephesians 4. Jump back to Ephesians 1. That's exactly what Paul prays about. You can see it in Ephesians. You can see it in Colossians. But in Ephesians, he prays about this. I think this is a pretty good prayer. Do you think this prayer is answered sometimes? Yeah. Paul prayed concerning the Ephesians. And by extension, to other believers. If you fit these circumstances. So in Ephesians 1, he says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what did he pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, What? that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And what is the riches of, of the glory of our inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? The very power that created the universe is, is accessible to the Christian. How? How? The Holy Spirit empowers you. Well, how? By producing this fruit. By producing this fruit. Mm -hmm. Now, so, when we see the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, this implies that you were practicing positional truth. Another thing that shows implication of this is spiritual enemies. Or more properly, um, the defenses. Okay? And positional truth plays a part in every way of escape for any kind of temptation, whether it's Satan, the flesh, or the world system. Let's quickly look at those verses. We're going to assign some verses. Um, we can come to here, Jen. Romans 6.11. Cynthia, Ephesians 6.10. And then Steve, 1 John 2.15-17. And then Dwight, Galatians 6.14-15. and 15. Go ahead, Jim. Romans 6.11 Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So right there, this is just part of the way of escape in regard to the flesh. But 
You're to reckon yourself dead and alive in Christ Jesus. If it says through, scratch that out. That's not what it says. It's in Christ Jesus. It's a positional truth. We're dead and we're alive because we're in Christ. Cynthia. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, if you kept reading down through there, this is right before you put on the whole armor of God in response to satanic attack. So anytime you have anything related to satanic attack, positional truth is a prerequisite to having any kind of defensive stand against Satan. It's not say a prayer. It's not pray a hedge. It's not declaring and releasing Satan. None of that is scriptural. Steve, if you could read 1 John Yes. 15 through 17. Yes. Okay. Stop loving the world system, either the things that are in the world system. If any man love the world system, the love concerning the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world system, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the vainglory of biological life is not out of the Father as the source, but is out of the world as the source. And the world system is passing away and the strong desire belonging to it. But the one doing the desirous will of God feels at home or at ease in the VA. I got so many notes, I don't know where the key came from. <laughs> what version was that? <laughs> Thank you very much. The added translation was appreciated. Uh, Dwight, go ahead. There's no clear statement of positional truth, but we're going to tie some together after the next verse. Okay. Go ahead, Dwight. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been uh, crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Okay. So that has to do with the world, and it's our relationship <coughs> to the body of Christ and Christ, because we're positionally in him, related to the world. Okay. Now when we get to 1 John, we haven't got to 1 John yet, but we're going to see there's a lot of positional truth in 1 John. And it goes back to the upper room in John 15, right? And so we're going to have a lot of fun when we get there. So we'll give more explanation in that when we get there. But here, you can very clearly see this is related to positional truth and how you relate to the world. We're crucified to the world. Okay? But what does have force for the So when you're crucified, you're separated from... Being crucified was a curse. So when you're put up on a, on a cross... There's nothing you can do down here on this earth anymore. You're up in the air, separated. You're in, the, you're in between heaven and earth. Okay, you're a curse. Okay. So, circumcision had no value for you, is what Paul is saying. But a position in Christ does. Because you're united to all other believers. And that does have value for you. It's not a curse. And our last passage, man, how quick was this? What a great review, right? 
Not because it was substantive, but because we were quick. First Timothy. Second Timothy three. Here's another one. Second Timothy? Or you said you said both now. Second Timothy. See, I did that for Tim. Isaiah chapter I have one. Thank you. Thank you. It's Second Timothy, but say First Timothy on purpose. Thank you. Thank you. Second Timothy three twelve. So here, this is another way of implication. A plus B equals C. A plus B equals C, guys. So we see this. So we know it. Anytime we see, what's our word? Godliness. Or Jim, want to define that for us? Based on the study that you did? Giving giving God proper honor. Good honor. Okay. Okay, then we can go. Okay, giving God proper honor, a general definition. But then I'm going to say in, the, in many instances, it's a Christ-lived life. It's consistency of a Christ. Oh, no. Let's say it like this. God living his life out through the believer. Okay. Gives honor to him his way it's not when a human beings try to copy God's way of life through their own strength okay that does not honor God so we come to 2 Timothy 3 and you have in verse 1 this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be fond of their own selves covetous boasters Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. Um, my translation says incontinent. Um, fierce. Not fond of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than being fond of God. Having a form, so you're like, how can they have a form of godliness? Everything you've just read is obviously ungodly. But it says here, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Turn away from this. Now, if you just read that, I think you lose a lot of what's going on here. Why do they have a form? What's the difference between a form of godliness and real godliness? Do we have answers in the... What's the interpreter's number one guide? Context. And what's the number se, number two guide? Context. Context. What's the number three guide? Context. Context. Okay. So if we keep reading down through here, we come down to verse 10. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life. Now, who was the person that... Paul told to go to Corinth to repeat his teachings. Back at the beginning of the message. It was Timothy. You think it was the same guy that this is written to? And the same guy that Paul's talking to right now in this letter? Yeah. What was Paul, what Timothy fully knew his doctrine, manner of life, his conduct, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, Endurance, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
yes. And all that determine to live godly in their own efforts. Is that what it says? No. All that have a fake godliness. <laughs> is that what it says? No. Nope. All that determine to live godly in Christ Jesus. I'm going to propose to you something. That in Christ Jesus is how you don't have a form of godliness. It's how you get the real thing. It's when you're living godliness by getting your mind right. Because that's the only way you're going to get supernatural empowerment. And that's the only real godliness is lived out. It's when it's God life through the believer. So if you separate, if you're just following X's and, oh, this is what it looks like, it's not real godliness. In fact, it's insulting. It's insulting to God. Remember the, the Hebrew Christians? They, uh, how, how does it say that over there? They insult the spirit of grace. They tread, how to say, they tread a foot, the Son of God, put something to open shame. Trample. Trample. Yeah. So that is our review today. Paul taught this everywhere in every church. We've been seeing explicit statements, implicit statements. We've been going through the whole New Testament, and we just, it's amazing. We see it over and over and over. It just comes back like rep repetition is the mother of learning. Right? It's the one. It's the place that you engage with God's word, and it's where when you engage on this truth, the Spirit of God supernaturally empowers you, and God's word prepares you for every good work. Because once you're empowered mentally, then you can act on it and do those things that God has prepared for you. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And I could go on to the rewards and show you that a lot of those things, after God empowers you and saves you, gives you a new position, makes you his child, gives you a supernatural teacher, and then you do the things that he wants you to do by his power, he then rewards you. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really is grace. It really is grace. With that, is there any comments or additions? No? Alright, we'll come back next time and jump into more into the book of James. Alright, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the business meeting and the messages shared today and how all these different things from your word. Um, really do, if we, if we reflect on them, we think about them, it uh, really does change our perspective and prepare us for what you have for us to do in this life. And we thank you, Father, for these particular believers, as you have so seen fit to have us around them in close proximity, doing things together. And we thank you, Father, and the thanks and the praise and the glory goes back to you for who you are worthy Thank you, Josh.